good morning again. Um, just, just again, to, just to reiterate, um, your guys' heart and your passion uh, for missions is extraordinary. And uh, we're just so grateful. And uh, Lee and I, we love you. We pray for you. And we pray that God would just um, bless you mightily in Jesus' name. So that being said, we're going to just jump right into the word. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 1. And as you're turning, I'm just going to uh, just real briefly uh, kind of set the stage uh, to where we're at when we come to 2 Chronicles. So uh, we're going to be talking about Jehoshaphat. Maybe some of you have heard about Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat's prayer. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. He was the son of King Asa. He was, he was a godly king. He was likened uh, like King David. He was known as a, as a, as a very godly king. Uh, and the Bible says that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He led, he led the people uh, to be faithful in the things of God. And uh, he was a great reformer. His dad was, was, a, was a great reformer. And so uh, King Jehoshaphat was a great reformer. He put in, in place programs that would that would uh, bring people and taught people the things of God. Uh, but if, if you could say that there was maybe one flaw in Jehoshaphat, is that he kept making these, um, what some might say, unrighteous alliances. He, just, he, kept, he kept slipping up in this area. And there was one alliance that he made, and he made it with a king by the name of King Ahab, um, and the Bible says that King Ahab was the most wicked king. Um, his wife was Queen Jezebel. I'm sure you've heard of Jezebel. And so you put those two evils together, and they, uh, they, had, a, they had a daughter. And her name was Athelia. And so Jehoshaphat came into alliance uh, with King Ahab through marriage. He, he married his son to their daughter, and it was a nightmare. Um, she was a nightmare. And so, um, and so they entered this alliance uh, through marriage. And because of this alliance, King Ahab went to war. And it was called the, uh, the Battle of Ramoth-Gilead. And, and because of this alliance, Jehoshaphat had to go. And in this battle, Jehoshaphat almost lost his life because it was a bad alliance, but the Lord was with him. So let's pick it up in verse 1. After this, so after what? So Jehoshaphat has come back to Judah, just off the heels of the battle at Ramoth-Gilead. King Ahab, in this battle, he's died, so he's gone. And now, and now Jehoshaphat has come back, uh, to his land and to his people. And, and in verse, and in chapter 19, the, the previous chapter, he appoints judges. And he, he tells them, 
He says, we're not going to judge according to man, but we're going to judge according to what the Lord says. And he began to put in programs uh, that would bring the people back to the Lord. Um, they were they were involved in some idol worship, and he was he was kind of just um, making a broad sweep across the land to to bring to bring the people back. And so, verse one says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some Meunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and they're already in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judea, for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to them, to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress and you will hear us and you'll save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the, out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. How many of you have said that, especially in the last two years? Just, I don't know what to do. Maybe someone has come to you and they're, they're dealing with a crisis. Saying, I don't know what to do. Anybody ever been there? Maybe some this morning and you're in a place in a difficult season of your life and you're thinking, God, I just don't know what to do. This prayer that Jehoshaphat prays, the action to pray and to fast is hope. It's a beautiful picture of hope. So what is hope? Hope is a confident expectation and trust in God that he's going to work on your behalf and do great things. It's a confident expectation. Some have said that this prayer, what Jehoshaphat does here is the truest, the purest form of hope throughout all scripture.
hope not only looks to the future, but it also makes present hardships easier. Uh, a deeper level of this, uh, hope links our present to our past and our future. And you can see this in the prayer that Jehoshaphat prays because he begins his prayer by listing the nature and the characteristics, the characteristics of God. So sorry. The Bible says that a vast army was coming against you. Did you notice that? When they, when they came to tell Jehoshaphat, they said the army's coming against you. And so maybe there's some here today and you feel like a vast army is coming against you. It's personal. This attack was personal. They said they're, they're coming against you. Now, this, these three armies, they were, they were coming up around uh, Judah. And they say that they were about 40 miles away. Now, um, part of Jehoshaphat's good leadership is he had a good army, but there wasn't much time. There was no time, really, uh, to assemble his, his army together. And these three, these three armies, they were coming. And it was personal. And if you read into it, um, really, annihilation was what they were planning for, is what they were after. Yes, it was personal to Jehoshaphat, but they were also coming to completely obliterate Judah and the surrounding area off the map. This is what Jehoshaphat is, is, is facing when he prays to the Lord. Now, I would imagine that Jehoshaphat could have said, why is this happening? I mean, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back and I've, and I've, I'm turning, I'm turning the, the land back to God. And, and so why is this happening? Also, Jehoshaphat just, I mean, you can feel it when you read this text. You can feel uh, the severity of it, the, the weight of it. He could have been afraid. They say that hope or fear is the opposite of hope. Fear is the opposite of hope. I would suggest to you that not only uh, fear, but also uh, unbelief. Because when you're hoping for something and, and, and you don't see it, that fear begins to, to creep in. And, and then unbelief begins to creep in. When you, when you have an expectation, when you know that God has done something and you don't see him doing it. It's easy for the fear and then the unbelief to take over. And then you, you read scriptures or you, you hear a testimony of God doing something and you think, yeah, that's, that's good, but uh, it's not for me. You think, you, you read something that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches. And you think, well, that's, that's good. Maybe he does that for somebody else. But, but I've been asking for this need that I have and it hasn't happened. And so... It's a dangerous thing for unbelief to creep in that way. 
Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Deferred means to just drag on. And so hope deferred may look like praying for a parent to, to be saved and you've been praying and praying and you don't see it. It may look like uh, you're, you're dealing with a, a sickness or you're dealing with a marriage that needs to be restored and you don't see it. And it, and it, keeps, and it keeps dragging on. Leah mentioned uh, the story of Hema and, and that suicide is, is, such a, is such a crippling uh, thing there. When she told, when the lady was talking to her and, and she made the statement, which is now our mission statement, that there's, that there's no hope beyond the mountains. What is that? That's, that's hopelessness. That's hopelessness. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The heart there, it, it embodies not only mental and emotional, but really it encompasses the whole inward person. So if something is making the heart sick, then it leads to depression and it leads to Anxiety leads to hopelessness, and, and in this case, in Hema, it leads to suicide because they don't see any hope. So, Hema and other rural parts of Ecuador, their hearts are sick. Their hearts are sick, and, and they're hopeless. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring hope, the hope that's found in Jesus. We're going to bring that to them. And we're going to see those sick hearts healed, and we're going to see the sick hearts restored in Jesus' name. Amen? Um, some of you, it's, it's been mentioned a couple times here. Um, You've been, you've been following our story a little bit, and some of you guys know our story. And, and just from the outset, um, those of you who knew our story when, when things were crazy and you were praying for us, thank you so much. Your prayers made all the difference. Um, you know, we got married last April, and we got married at the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon was our, our really our second date because of COVID, and we didn't really have anything to do. Uh, and that, that's a whole story. But anyway, we ended up getting married at the Grand Canyon, and it was amazing. It was, it was fairy tale. If you, I mean, if you guys saw some of the pictures, it's, it's incredible. Um, my whole family, you know, it got to be together, and it was just, it was such a special time. Um, but unfortunately, COVID, It, it came in, and uh, we had a COVID outbreak, unfortunately, in our wedding. And two days after our wedding, uh, we went to Aruba for our honeymoon. And when we landed in Aruba, she was already sick. And the first phone call that we got when we landed in Aruba that someone, her, her best friend had COVID. And, um, and so she had COVID, and the next day I got COVID. And we were supposed to be in uh, Aruba for like six days and we ended up being there over two weeks. 
Um, and that's a whole nother story because it, that was an absolute nightmare. And um, during that time, my dad, unfortunately, he got sick. And um, through just a, a, a pure miracle, we got to leave. Uh, we got we got the letters that we needed to get out of the country. And we were making it back and we had to take separate flights. And I know I'm not doing a great job of telling the story, but... Um, the day that I landed in the United States, uh, I knew my dad was sick. I'd gotten a call. I was actually in Dallas, and I got a call that he wasn't doing well. And so uh, I made another flight to Tulsa. It's where my brother lives, and uh, we, were, we were trying to make it back home to Missouri. And on the way, we got the call that my dad had passed. And so 17 days after the most magical wedding that we'd both hoped for and dreamed for, um, my dad passed, and then two days later, we were, we were at his funeral, and Leah did such an amazing job of, of speaking and honoring my dad, and so this is how we started out. This is how we started out our marriage, and we were still dealing with some effects of, of COVID because we had COVID really bad. Um, it, was, it was not a good situation, and then Later on, I got sick again because the doctor said my lungs didn't heal from the first time with COVID. And, and so now we're going through the process of that. And then we're going through the process of becoming fully appointed missionaries. And then more family members get COVID, my mom and some other family members. And then almost five months to the day, I'm actually speaking at my uncle's funeral who died of COVID and he spoke at my dad's funeral almost five months to the day I was speaking at his funeral after he spoke at my dad's funeral. And so, um, and then we moved on and then we went through the process and then, and then the holidays hit. And I got to tell you, there was many, many times where I just said, I don't know what to do. Literally, I don't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to grieve and. And if I can be real with you today, I, I was hopeless. I, 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 wasn't, I didn't have a confident expectation that God was going to do something good um, because I was just wrecked and, and I didn't know what to do. Just like Jehoshaphat prayed, I don't know what to do. But then he says, our eyes are on you but our eyes are on you. And that's what I had to say. My eyes are on you. What does that mean? It means, God, if you, if there's going to be help, it's going to be you and you alone that helps. If there's going to be a miracle, it's going to come from you and you alone because without you. See, uh, in this story and in other stories all throughout the Bible, dependence and deliverance, they go hand in hand. So I had to learn to just, there's a song, Lean Back, and I just had to lean back and just rest and into that, that knowing that, that God was in control, that God was in control. And so uh, the rest of the story, uh, he calls for that prayer meeting, and, and the Lord sends a word to the prophet um, and he tells them to, to go out, to send the worshipers first. And he says, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. 
the Lord's going to fight this battle for you. And I think that's a word for somebody here today. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged because the Lord is going to go before you and he's going to fight your battle. He says a little bit later, I think in verse 17, that, that you won't have to fight. This one, you won't have to fight. And he said, send the worshipers on out. And so Jehoshaphat listened to that word and he did what the prophet said. And, and if you read on, it, it, it says that, that the Lord caused confusion when the army did make it up and they end up fighting themselves. And so they didn't have to fight. And so just real quick, three things I want to leave you with. Three things that Jehoshaphat did that put hope into action in this story. Number one, he prayed. He prayed first. I don't know why it is sometimes, but uh, even in my own life, prayer doesn't always seem to be my first answer. But, you know, prayer isn't just a weapon. It's the most powerful weapon. And so he prayed first. And then second, he listened. And in this case, in, in Jehoshaphat's life, um, he listened to the prophet. But for us, he, listening can be just reading God's word because the word is alive and active. Amen. So he listened and he obeyed. And that's, that's our second call is to listen and obey. We listen, we read the scripture, we, we listen to pastor, we listen to podcasts, but we listen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then number three, he worshiped. He worshiped. We don't worship from, for the victory, we worship from a place of victory. We worship. He sent the worshipers first. And so, Leah, I'm going to ask you to come on up. And we just want to, we just want to pray over you. Um, we don't take this lightly. We don't take being here lightly. You know, there's three things I was was reading about hope and Joshua and Joshua it says those that hope in the Lord, those that trust in the Lord, they're blessed. Isaiah says that those that hope in the Lord, they renew their strength. And it says in Psalms that those that hope in the Lord, that trust in the Lord, they will endure. So hoping brings a blessing and hoping brings new strength. It allows you to stand firm like Jehoshaphat. When you don't know what to do in our situation, when you don't know what to do, So we just want to pray over you now. And if I felt impressed to share this. Michael actually doesn't even know this, but when I was here in 2017, I shared a message. And I don't know why the Holy Spirit brought it back to my heart this morning because I can't remember everything I share every time. Um, but the message was actually about a battle. And little did we know what the next few years would hold. 
we thought, oh, we're coming out of this. And then here we are again. (laughs) And we don't know what's to come. But there's something that has stuck with me that a pastor said once. He said, the reward for your battle is not your victory. And you're like, what? But I want victory. We have victory. We do. We know how the story ends. The reward for your battle is not your victory. Think of it like this. The reward is another battle. You're like, how is that a reward? Because when you're on this other side of victory, you get to fight for someone else. You know, hope is not an emotion. It's a, it's a discipline. It's tenacious. Many times in the scripture, it says, I put my hope in you. I don't just hope, but I have to, I have to physically pull it out of somewhere and I have to put it in Jesus. It's a decision. And so I think the call this morning and our prayer for you is that may the God of hope fill you with hope so that you can be on the other side of victory so that you can bring hope to someone else. We didn't prepare this hope message because of hope crossings. That story was a real story in the middle of the mountains of Ecuador. But God, he, this is his work. When, when we go and we raise funds and we, and we share the story, our heart is always to represent him. And he uses us. And that's the call to each and every one of you today. And so we're going to just stand up in this place and, and maybe you need hope this morning. I think the very first step to hope is knowing hope himself. And his name is Jesus. So if you have never made that decision, you have an opportunity today. And I'm going to have Michael pray over you. But I just, I see warriors here. You know, we want to we do more than just be filled up with hope. We want to bring hope to other people. And that's what we as missionaries do. But that's what we as believers do. If we believe in Jesus, we have such a story to tell to someone else because there is hopelessness everywhere, everywhere, more now than ever. And those that have hoped before, this may be a word for someone, and you're kind of on the edge of hope and you're not really sure if God's for you, he's for you. He's for you. You can go home today and say that word was for me. God is for me. He is the God of hope, and he is for you. Do not forget that. So thank you, and we look forward to sharing with you after the service. And we're just going to end in prayer, and we're going to pray over all of you. And if you want prayer personally, we're here to pray for you. We would love to do that. But may the God of hope fill you with hope, that you know Jesus, and that that hope carries out to everyone around you. That is our hope.